Pleasant Good Evening Mets fans and welcome back to the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast. It's episode 98 here on PGE and for the very first time on the podcast, Jack Hendon, myself, Sam Lebowitz, we get to preview Mets playoff baseball. We've never had the Mets in the playoffs in the hundred and change weeks we've been doing this, so a little over two years or so. Uh, Jack, I think I know the answer to this because when you hopped on the Zoom call to start this uh, recording up, um, you told me how you were doing. So how are you doing? Not good. I'm very scared. I'm feeling uh, just just not good. I don't know how else to put it. Just something doesn't seem right. Um, I mean, yes, it's the first playoff you know, episode of any kind we've been doing and they won 101 games, but like, there's also a reason we did not record on Sunday. Um, Sunday, really the whole weekend just sucked. Like it just sucked the air out of me. It was like the first time all season that the whole, like what can go wrong will go wrong thing just sort of came true. And um, I mean, I'm trying to get right. I'm trying to stay optimistic. I'm definitely not writing them off on any grounds but like am I like I'm I'm so much more nervous about this than I would have been if they'd even won one game over the weekend like yeah I'm yeah I'm with pretty you bruised yeah I think that the the inherent pessimism of uh of being a Mets fan that we've kind of just like tried to push back as much as we can this season because at the end of the day they won 101 games we'll talk about this later still a very, you know, a very successful regular season, certainly the most successful regular season in either of our conscious minds as a fan, given our, you know, general youth. Uh, we don't want to dispel that from being a fact in our minds, but at the same time, we were just kind of, it felt like we were waiting all year for one of those shooty drop moments where, like you said, what could go wrong went wrong. And, um, you know, turned into a lull Mets situation and blowing the division in the way that they did uh, certainly felt like that. All they needed to do was win one game to get the tiebreaker and put themselves in a position where simply by taking care of business against the Nationals after the series, um, they would probably be division champions. And, you know, they swept the Nats. They did that part. They they got that part done. Um, but they got swept out of Atlanta with their horses on the mound. And I guess we should, yeah, I mean, you, you started to address it, why we're talking to you today instead of um, on Sunday, like normal, uh, you know, that was a conscious decision on our part. I don't want anyone to think we were cowards or we were shying away from, from the limelight because bad things happened to the Mets. You know, you guys were sitting at home wondering, you know, where are their takes when, when they need it most, um, but we did not disappear into the wind. We were simply waiting for the regular season to finish so we could see how things shake out. That was a decision we made before um, the Atlanta series concluded. We wanted to see if there was a chance we could have a, a clinch episode, a, yeah. a National League East title episode, and we were deprived of that because the Mets couldn't do their jobs. I mean, Atlanta, that was just bad. It, it, at the end of the day, that was the worst series of the year. Losing, you know, getting swept by the Cubs at home was was one thing. But this was uh, just they just got they just got their shit kicked in. Uh, this it was really bad this weekend, and it was infuriating baseball too because they had leads in all three games. 
this is a team that had the highest winning percentage in games in which they held a lead all season and they just couldn't put the Braves away. Um, and their three aces, DeGrom, Scherzer, and Bassett, um, none of them looked very good. DeGrom, you know, was not great in game one. And we were like, all right, well, we got Scherzer and Bassett to follow. And then Scherzer looked a little bit worse. And then Bassett looked terrible. And um, that's just history. And yeah, I think that can, that's, that adds to the pessimism. I'm going into the playoffs feeling way less confident than I did before that Atlanta series. Yeah. When we always knew that like the road to the world series was infinitely easier uh, in winning the division. And like the fact that they led for 249 days and just didn't bring it home is, is really frustrating. I think that this narrative that like the Mets choked it away has for the most part been like talked down. I think people are really, cognizant of especially in the wake of the series like the Braves are just that good a team um this was not a team getting lucky this was not like you know and maybe that's part of why this is so like demoralizing because it it wasn't even like the Mets um you know just handed it over like the Mets took leads in this game and the Braves took leads back almost immediately like every time they simply wouldn't play the way that they played in August they haven't played at any point since June, we've been saying, well, eventually they'll stop, you know, winning all these games. And like, they just never did. They played at a 115 win pace after falling to 23 and 27. You have to tip your, you know, your caps to them as frustrating as it is that it's the Braves. Like it it just, it always does feel like it's this group of players who, by the way, are going to be there like 10 more years. Like this is not going to end anytime soon. Um, it really did just kind of, I mean, I felt powerless watching it. Like it really just felt like I was watching my team get beat just, you know, not necessarily embarrassed. Right. But like every time you thought, okay, maybe they'll, they'll come away with this one. Maybe they'll hold this lead. Maybe they'll put a few more on the board. Maybe they'll score off Kenley Jansen. They didn't like every time the Braves had an answer and the Mets didn't. And, um, I mean, really like, it of course it was going to be like after that series that the Mets would still win 101 games that the Braves would lose two of three to the Marlins but not the one that they really needed to lose you know what I mean like it really was going to be a tease all the way after that um but it leaves me in this place where like you know we have to talk about how they're going to organize their rotation we have to worry about how ready they're going to be for the Dodgers after they play the Padres um these are all discussions that I generally never ever wanted to have um not for any reason you know revolving around the Mets and their own abilities like it's not like I don't think the Mets are good enough it's just like you know we kind of we've had it so easy all year and I think as as we both mentioned like we kept waiting for something bad to happen and like it just didn't so we thought you know six games left in the season just win one game literally just win one game against the Braves and we will have gone this entire year without a horrible accident. And so it was kind of a horrible series. It was, it was, you know, just at the five yard line, they dropped the ball, but there is still baseball to be played. So at least we have that. Yeah. Anytime you win 101 games and generally have the kind of dominance um, that the Mets did for much of this season, you expect to um, be a top two seed. You expect to be a division winner and, uh, we can get into the minutia of what you want to actually call what the Mets are because they did finish 
even in the standings with the Braves, um, lost the tiebreaker by one game, but they had mm. even records. So if you want to call them co-division champions to be cheeky, go ahead. Um, uh, but at the end of the day, they're, they're the fourth seed in the National League East, um, and they are playing the middle wild card series against the Padres. They, they are hosting all three games. Um, if there are three games necessary at City Field, um, they will be played three in a row this weekend, starting tomorrow for us today, probably for you, um, Friday, October 7th, um, which will be the date of this episode's posting. Um, and it'll be Max Scherzer on the mound against you Darvish, who has an ERA below one this year and two starts against the Mets. We're, you know, we, we're going to preview that series. It's like you said, Jack, it's just kind of disappointing that like they have to play a wild card. Um, but yeah, you started to allude to it. The Braves just played out of their minds, uh, like not even just in that series, but since from June 1st onward, um, AJ Minter was asked about it. Braves left-handed reliever. They said to him, you know, one of the, the Braves reporters said to him, you know, uh, did the Mets collapse? You know, did the Mets choke this away? He goes, no, the Mets didn't collapse. We just stole it from them. We played out of our minds. And he was completely right. Um, in the same vein, Pete Alonso today at, at Wild Card Round Media Day on the off day was asked about uh, if it's unfair that a 101-win team has to play a wild card round. And Pete simply said, no, it's not unfair. We got swept by the Cubs. Yeah. I thought it, I found it really, really interesting that Pete specifically – mentioned the cub series before mentioning the brave series yeah. um because that i also circle back to that one because you know they had the this uh just this this gauntlet of not very good teams in september and really all they needed was at the end of the day one win one more win that they didn't have um to win this division whether it was you know uh, the series they lost against the Nationals. They lost two out of three at home against the Nationals. There was that series. There was the three in a row at home against the Cubs. They got swept. Um, you win one of those games. There was the when DeGrom got shelled in Oakland. Um, mm. You win that game. Like, the, these are just games that you you go back. And that's just in September alone. Right. Um, there weren't a lot of these like really ugly bad losses against bad teams through much, you know, most of the season. Um, but you look back on a few of those and you think, God, if only they won one of those games, the Mets would be division champions right now, um, given how things wound up going. Right. And it's just just wildly disappointing um, that they're that, you know, after all we went through this season that we don't get to talk about this team as uh, as division champions. And there's a very real possibility that a very talented Padres team. Um, could come into City Field this weekend and win two out of three, yeah. and and knock the Mets out until spring twenty twenty three. Which, given the state of how this team is built and all the impending free agents and the the state of the payroll, um, you start thinking that it's going to be awfully hard to put the same level of talent on the baseball field next year. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's obviously the sustainability issue that goes beyond this season, and that's part of why I'm so nervous about the playoffs because you know I was talking to someone about this today someone who asked me like you know you don't have this happen very often it's like you know we don't um it's like every eight years the Mets make the playoffs and usually when they do there is 
at least, I mean, obviously history tells you that when they make it, they usually don't really make it back at some point, but you always have this illusion of like, okay, well, we have a good core. Like 2015, they had such a good pitching staff. I think everyone assumed this team would be back in a division series within the next two or three years, and it completely unraveled. 2006, best team and potentially in all of baseball that year with most of their core being younger players under contract and they never made it back to the playoffs. This is not one of those years. This is really one of those years where like the core guys, DeGrom, Nimmo, Diaz, they could be gone at the end of this year. This could be their only shot in the next couple of years to win with a club that we really know and have grown attached to. Um, Say what you want about like sustainability, the analytics department, whatever Steve Cohen is going to, whatever strings he's going to pull at the end of this season to keep the team winning. Like I have a certain attachment to this team that has a one month timer now on it. And that's best case scenario. I have one month left to root for this team and it could just be over by Sunday because they did not play very well against a good playoff baseball team, which is the other thing too. That's really, I think, painful about this. It's like, you know, they didn't really take care of their business against the nationals, right? They didn't really do it against the Cubs. They didn't really do it against these bad teams, but then playing a good team, they looked especially flat, like the offense after the sixth inning. Do we have the statistic on what they were hitting here? I have it right here. After the sixth inning in this series, the Braves hit 265 with a 588 slugging. And by contrast in the series, the Mets hit 171 with a 268 slugging. Um, that's really, really bad. And that's not very characteristic of the team that we've seen all year. They usually orchestrate when down by one run or two runs. They're capable, even against good teams, of like pulling off these comebacks. And they just were completely lifeless, especially on Saturday and Sunday. I was shocked that Friday ended up being like, you know, the most benign of all these losses. But to go back to the Padres, like, you know, they don't look very good against a really good team. What does it say about their chances against you, Darvish, who, like you mentioned, is great against the Mets, against Blake Snell, who is literally a left-handed pitcher? Like, I think I'm pretty well within my right, as good of a season as this has been. And we'll get into how good a season it's been, too, because I think we have to address that. But, like, you know, it could really get taken away right away. And that's how you know it's not unfair. Like, this is a legitimate matchup, this Mets-Padres matchup. It's not like they're going to play, like, the Brewers or the Giants. This is a good team. Yeah, the National League bracket, I just think, is better than the American League bracket. The American League bracket is good. There's fun teams in there. I like the Blue Jays. I like the Mariners. Uh, the Rays are whatever, as they often tend to be every year in terms of the actual excitement, you know, the level of talent on the field. And then you have the division winners. I, I, the American League is whatever, but that's it's just a lot of, like, it's the Astros and then the Yankees who had a bad second half. Yeah. And then, like, four... 90 to 93 win teams um so like whereas in the national league you have three 100 win teams um a very good cardinals team that could certainly make a run too they have talent they have what it takes i think Mm -hmm. um if the starting pitching holds up if the bullpen holds up balls you know yeah they'll get the pool holes never mind yeah the, the, the the bouncy pools balls yeah um and then you have the the two other wild card teams besides the Mets, which is a Padres team that has um the most bolstered roster from the you know the, the trade deadline with Soto and Brandon Drury and, and Josh Bell, and they've got Manny Machado having an MVP caliber season. 
Josh Hader seems to be pitching a little bit better nowadays. Don't uh, like that at all for us. That's don't really like it. bad news. Yeah, it's you. We need him to like you. It would be cool to see him like melt down in the in the playoffs against the Mets, but obviously, um, he's scary. I'm gonna sneeze real quick if you don't mind. Uh, yeah, I got you. It it is like it honestly though, and this is why that that game one game two thing is also just so stressful to me because I really think that people are under they're sleeping on I understand that like when you take Juan Soto and Manny Machado out of a situation that offense isn't really as threatening but like their pitching is good like oh it's it's still the deepest starting rotation in baseball yeah like I don't understand this idea like we need to prepare for the Dodgers like no you need to prepare for the Padres right now man you don't have Starling Marte like you have reason there's there's reason for people to think you're not going to win this series. I think they will win, but like I'm also scared because there's a real possibility that like they get boat raced. Yeah, I, I mean, I was going to say that the starting pitching with even without Mike Clevenger, who is I guess hurt, uh, it's Darvish and then Snell, and then you can go Musgrove in Game Three, and, and like those are three guys who, you know, they're not the same level I guess as Max Scherzer when Max Scherzer is is on, but there, I would certainly put them above, like in that Chris Bassity and above range. Yeah. Um, like, I don't think, I think Musgrove and Bassett are like probably in the same kind of neighborhood um, with Snell, the way he finished this season, and Darvish um, with as good as he was for much of this season, certainly above that. I, I don't know. It's anything can happen. All it takes is like you, Darvish, throwing up seven shutout innings on, uh, on Friday night. And Juan Soto hitting a two-run homer for the Mets to all of a sudden be looking up at a two-nothing score uh, in the seventh inning mm-hmm. and seriously putting doubts in fans' mind about uh, their ability to not just uh, make a run in this playoff but to advance to the division series. It's all it takes is Padres winning game one and all of a sudden now you got to win two straight. And um, it's it's a scary prospect yeah. uh, because, you know, we haven't really been through this um, in a, a six plus years. I mean, 2016 was the last time the Mets were in a elimination game. This is the last time the Mets played in a game in the quote unquote playoffs. I mean, I don't really view that 2016 team as a quote unquote playoff team. They played one postseason game. I just... I don't really like view them in my mind's eye as a team that deservingly made the playoffs. Uh, they played great in the second half, but like, whatever. I mean, that well, was they, a, it's a yeah. different era of baseball. Now we're in a completely new era of baseball now mm-hmm. um, where you can no longer go home uh, in one game, which I guess is cool. Yeah. Um, but it's still just a three game series and yeah. the Mets lost a few three. They lost two, three game series to the Padres this year. They right. lost the season series four to six or four yeah. to two out of six. Yeah. It, it honestly, like I'm, I'm, I mean, the thing that I'm really clinging to here uh, when I think about the postseason, cause I do have, I think some vague memories of like the trepidation that I experienced going into the series against the Dodgers in 2015. Cause I was, I had no like earthly idea what to expect. And I think that the quality of matchup between the Mets and Dodgers that year was a lot closer than the Mets Padres this year. 
like I think the Padres are very good, but I think that the 2015 Mets and the 2015 Dodgers are very evenly matched. And obviously the Dodgers had that pitching staff of Kershaw and Greinke. Um, but like, you it's know, kind of wild when you think yeah. about it, that it, like Kershaw's still there. Yeah. 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 Right. Like, and um trying to think, but like the Mets offense had Cespedes. Uh, you could occasionally expect something from Granderson, but you know, there were questions about who else was going to produce, like how much was Michael Conforto going to play? Uh, what was Daniel Murphy going to do? Like what side of Lucas Duda were the Mets going to get, you know, how healthy would David Wright be? And like all it really took for the Mets to get out of that series alive was Daniel Murphy carrying them. Like if even one or two guys in this lineup produce in a way better than they did this past weekend against the Braves, like that could change a lot of things. Like think about the the moments in that, in that series. And there weren't a lot of them. There were few and far between, but moments in that series where the Mets and Braves were close and it looked like a close game. You had Lindor hitting, you had McNeil hitting, you had Alonzo hitting. I trust the three of them. Sunday, they had a 3-1 lead Honestly, the reason they were so comfortable at one point was because like Dan Vogelback was hitting, you know what I mean? Like he was producing on his end, like, or Eduardo Escobar throughout September. I mean, we, we went to that Marlins game where he basically carried them to that win, right? Like if one guy is hot, that could be all you need. Um, And I'm holding out hope that like that lightning strikes somebody um, because it's certainly not going to you know, they're probably not getting Starling Marte back anytime soon. Um, and like I said, the Padres pitching staff is so good that like, you can't really rely on the Mets as a unit to beat them in. But like, if Mark Canna has one of his hot streaks, like, you know, that would, that could just, that could be enough. You know what I mean? Like I trust their pitching, but I guess in the same way that I'm a little bit worried that like their pitchers get beat by Soto and that's what does them in. I'm holding out hope that like, one of their hitters just really, really gets to you, Darvish. Um, but there's, it's not founded in any logic or any real, anything beyond just like, you know, hear, hearsay and past experience. It's conjecture, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, <laughs> it's, there's genuine terror. I think yeah. as a fan, as someone who's so invested in this team that almost at points, it can be unhealthy. And I think it was certainly at its most unhealthy for me this weekend um, when there were just points this weekend when I felt either so seething with, with rage for what I was looking at in front of me or so defeated. I think by the, by the time Bassett got um, taken out on Sunday night after the Braves had retaken the lead, I was just, I just felt so defeated um, by the, by what was out in front of me that, I had to kind of take a step back and think, you know what, like this is, it's still a game. It's not ultimately going to matter in five years from now in my life, what happens in this, this singular baseball game. Um, you know, I mean, not to take away from the experiences of, of the fans who like myself are super invested in this team, but I think sometimes perspective can be important in that kind of regard with sports, but not to, you know, get away from the point. The point being is that, um, when we get to these situations as fans, especially when we're not used to it, especially when we're fan of a team that we can't just say, oh, if we get bounced in the division series this, this year, you know, run it back next year and make right. improvements to this team because this team has made the playoffs in consecutive seasons twice in a 60 year franchise history. 
And one of those times, as I was saying earlier, I wouldn't disagree with you if you in your mind didn't really consider 2016 to be a playoff team. You know, like it was 99 and 2000 and then 2015 and 2016. Those are the two times they've made the playoffs in consecutive years. Obviously, in the mid 80s, it would have been different if there was a wild card. They would have made it every year for like four or five years in a row. Um, but that wasn't the case. It's a different era of baseball. And uh, I think you can make the claim that given the way things are set up right now with the three wild cards, the Mets as a team with resources, as a team that's getting smarter, they should never miss the playoffs. Yeah. Not with 12. Yeah. But we don't have that. We don't have that guarantee as fans, as Mets fans, we don't have that guarantee. We've never had that guarantee that, you know, they're, they're going to be able to put a consistent winner out on the field. So when they finally make the playoffs, it's a big deal for us. And uh, it's it can be really scary when playoff time comes around and we're going to be on the edge of our seat come 8 o'clock tomorrow. Um, I, I know that Friday, you know, once we get past midday Friday, I'm going to be racked with nerves uh, and just anticipating getting into the game and, uh, and, and hoping that they come out looking good and, and playing fresh and Scherzer hopefully will look better than he did in Atlanta. I, it's, I just, I need them to play, you know, better baseball. I, I want Friday. Uh, no, I'm going to the game Saturday, but oh, I mean, like, word. yeah. Are you too? Me too. Yeah. Oh my God. I feel oh, yeah. like everyone I've talked to that's going is going on Saturday. That's crazy. Well, yeah, no one wanted to get priced out of Friday. I think that's, that was my rationale buying those tickets. I was like, someone's going to, I'm going to get bounced. I'm sorry though. I, I interrupted you. Another no, you're good. Up, that's though, a real, that's up. a real, uh, real genuine podcast moment that we just yeah. had. We didn't, I guess uh, we didn't know that we were both going on, on Saturday. That's cool for game two. Anyways. Um, I just want them to come out playing better. I want, you know, an early lead would just would do so well for, for my anxieties. Yeah. Um, and Scherzer, if he looks better, I think we'll know immediately. And at the end of the day, I mean, I want this team to win the world series given how hard the path is. I'm not going to, um, uh, you know, assume that it's, it's a genuine possibility. I'd say it's like a four or 5% chance thing of happening. Whereas if they won the division, probably double that. Um, but I'm nervous. I think we have every right to be nervous as fans uh, when this thing comes around and I just hope it's, I hope it's good baseball. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, I think the gist of it. I mean, I would just love some of that old school. And like, I think that was, the series against the nationals put me at ease in some way because there were strokes of like the same guys that, and I mean, you know, the nationals are probably phoning in it at this point, right? Like it's, it's, it's no indication that anything's going to happen in October, but like it very much pleased my senses the way that they took it out on Paolo Espino um, when they hit three homers in a row, you know what I mean? Like Jeff McNeil winning the batting title, and getting an ovation like the fact that fans still had some sort of opportunity amidst what's been like a pretty crushing last week to acknowledge and you know pay respects and give you know kudos to a player who really has earned it and scrapped the entire season I think uh I still have hope that there will be moments but you know, I'll believe it when I see a 30 pitch first inning, you know, I'll believe it when I, you know, when I see McNeil beating the shift, I'll believe it when Tomas Nito is inexplicably hitting balls into the gap. Like um, I'll believe it when that thing happens. 
it, it usually if it you know if the pilot doesn't light like it just doesn't happen but um once it does i'm i'm really looking forward to that and um i don't know i i would really hate for a good season a 101 win season the second best record the mets have ever posted in their 60 years as a franchise to end in a matter of two days uh, or even three days. Uh, I think that it would definitely happen to us as Met fans, but it hopefully won't. And I think that ultimately the fact that it's such a special year and it's been so special, even in the aftermath, um, I have some, I have some faith, but I'm going to be a, a wreck until I see them play. Yeah. It's, it's going to be painful. I think that, you know, we talked about the idea of like the, the, somebody coming up and stepping up as the playoff hero. Neither of us in that, that brief conversation mentioned the stars really. I like, like it would be cool. Yeah. If like Dan Vogelback went off or like Darren Ruff had his moment, if he's even on a roster. Oh or, yeah. Like, like, Oh my God. If Darren Ruff like turned into like NLCS MVP, Darren Ruff. The, the, the photo of the guy going, I lived bitch after he has his neck injury. Like, yeah. You know, would love um, that. That would be great. Uh, like Mark Canna going off on a tear for a couple of months, like for a, a couple of weeks. Like that would be great. But I think that this team is only going to get as far as their stars take them. Yeah. Um, like we need Francisco Lindor uh, to like go off. We need Pete to hit some nukes. We need DeGrom and Scherzer to do their job you know like they they need to put up zeros it's 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 crucial that they put up zeros um because that's how this team wins they they win when they score enough for their pitching it's not vice versa you know it's not they score enough to uh make up for deficiencies on the pitching side they don't win seven to five games this team this team is a team that's going to win five to two games. They're going to win four to one games. They're going to win three to nothing games. And that's what's going to have to happen in the playoffs. I think for them to make a run, the starting pitching needs to be the starting pitching we've had all year. Um, and I think that that's part of the pessimism. We started to talk about it right at the beginning of the episode. Part of the pessimism around this team right now, which was abated a little bit by the, the fact that they dominated the nationals um, on both sides of the ball this, this week before the season ended um, part of the pessimism that I think some fans are having right now, and I've fallen into this trap a little bit too, is, is getting scared that the pitching just isn't there. Now yeah. that some of these guys, especially in that Atlanta series, the, the horses faltered, especially given the fact that Carrasco and Walker just haven't had very good second halves. Because, um, you know, you assume it's kind of been building in your mind for a little while, at least, that those two guys are not dependable playoff starters, or at least, you know, you might get a decent start out of like Taiwan Walker, but I don't think Carlos Carrasco deserves a playoff uh, start at this point. Mm -hmm. um, on the flip side, like you assumed that DeGrom and Scherzer were going to be there and that Bassett was going to be there. And mm -hmm. after they looked so bad against the Braves, or at least in Scherzer and DeGrom's case looked um, a lot weaker than normal. You know, they got mm -hmm. hit around more than normal, even though they put up like, starts that were generally good enough to keep the Mets in it and Bassett just completely the tires just completely came off for him yeah. um you know I think that's why some fans have been pessimistic is like now that we're in the playoffs and we've got here because of these three guys can we trust them now yeah I still trust DeGrom I think um the home runs have been an issue 
the entire time he's been back. Like he gave up three solo homers in that start. He also struck out 11. He was also dealing with blisters. We figured out what it was that was causing him to be so bad in Oakland and probably what also caused him to be a little bit more mortal in Atlanta. Um, so on one hand, yes, I trust him. Also, though, you have to watch out for that and make sure he doesn't actually hurt himself because um, you need those like you need that hand to be healthy. Um Scherzer, I'm probably a little bit more worried about just because the fastball was not, he wasn't locating it. He was getting beat. I mean, how many hits did he even give up in that start? I need to find it. It was not, it was nine hits. Like he alluded to today to the fact that he's not fully healthy. Right. He's going to, Scherzer has the dog in him, you know, like he'll, he'll try and gut it out, but this, this is a longer playoff format than we're used to um yeah he said he also worked back from an oblique that like he came back from like way ahead of schedule like and then re-aggravated yes that too like yeah that's when he was asked today he he was like are you feeling healthy he was like i'm working you know i'm i'm healthy enough i'm working through some things but i feel fine like the oblique feels fine don't worry about that is pretty much what he said which opened the door for you know questions about maybe some other parts of his health not being there which is a valid concern considering he had two il stints this year and it was this time a year ago when he was a dodger when he just really didn't show up um for the dodgers as much as you would expect max scherzer to and that was, that was because he was dealing with the dead arm and stuff and he couldn't lift his arm above his shoulder uh one day you know th- that whole story that's been well documented at this point i don't have to rehash the whole thing but that that's pretty clearly prevalent in his mind and it was a it was pretty prevalent in the minds of the reporters who were asking him questions about his health today at media day so uh i i actually i think i'm the opposite of you i think i'm more worried about degrom than about scherzer i think scherzer's gonna find a way to tough it out um and while the padres have weapons they're just not as good an offensive team as the braves are um and that's because a lot of their guys have been very hot and cold this year. It's a very, it's a, it's a loaded lineup when you consider that the amount of guys in that lineup who have had good major league seasons before, like Jake Cronenworth and Trent Grisham and, and Will Myers uh, are guys you look at and you're like, those can be weapons for them, but they're also guys that just haven't had very good years. Yeah. Um, same with like Josh Bell and Brandon Drury. Drury got was hot when he got to San Diego, cooled off immensely Bell never really got it going with the Padres um, still really hasn't Soto has still been the same kind of Soto that he was in Washington prior to the trade um, on base percentage over 400 at the end of the year hit plenty of homers, but the batting average was still pretty low. Um, and I think that a lot of people in San Diego were a little bit underwhelmed with the performance they got out of him down the stretch. So these are guys that, um, you just got to be wary of because they're an offensive unit that's capable of putting up runs, but they just didn't do it to the level you would expect this year. Yeah. Um, especially in the second half after they bolstered their roster so much. So I think with that said, I think Max is going to find a way to turn in a good start. Um, and I think he's going to give the Mets every chance to win game one. DeGrom, I have concerns about, especially with someone like Soto who has a level of familiarity with Jake from their time spent in the NL East, that if Jake is even a little bit off, Soto knows how to put a ball in that, that upper tank at City Field. And with Jake's home run problems right now, it's just a concern I have in my mind. 
well, you know, it's never the, it is never the sluggers who do this to him. I guess it was on Friday, right? It was like Olsen, Riley, and Swanson. But before then, like, it's always like, it'll be Austin Nola who breaks him. You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing that always really pisses me off. It's like, it's people like, you know, it's, it's, it's always like just the, the Rymel Tapias and such who, who do this to him. Um, Hap. You know, well, Ian Happ is Ian Happ might actually be good, although by Cubs standards, that doesn't mean a lot. Seth Brown hit one in Oakland against him. Oakland standards too, yeah, he might yeah. be their bet one of their better hitters. Yeah, but like um, you put him in a playoff lineup and he's, yeah, the sixth best hitter in, in any you know oh, team's lineup. Yeah. Totally. Same with um, I mean, if you're not worried about Scherz, or maybe I'm not. I'm definitely not a fan of this. This like idea that they're playing with that they're going to decide after game one depending on if they win or lose uh whether Degrom gets game two or Bassett gets game two and I guess the rationale I I I I like the rationale reads to me like I can read it and I'm like okay this is a way to think about this but does it make a lot of sense it it makes a lot of sense to a lot of people it honestly does not compute with me at all this idea that like they need to save Degrom for the Dodgers so that they can get him twice in a series. Like, yes, I understand that. I know you want him to start twice. You have to beat the Padres first. Like, I swear to God, you cannot game this against the San Diego Padres. They're not, they're not the Phillies. Like, they're not a team that you can just sort of 75% your way past because you, you stick Bassett in there and it works out. Like, it very well may not. They torched Bassett at one point this year. You're not guaranteed two wins against this team. Yeah, I I I think this is like an on paper. It's like a it's like a baseball video game decision. It's like okay, we'll just slide one thing in for the other because we can do that. No, I mean pitchers are animals based on routine. Like I'm sure that both Degrom and Bassett would prefer if Buck just told them who was going to start which game. Yeah. Um, for the sake of their own routines, for the sake of their own work, whatever. I'm sure they would just prefer it. And jerking guys around. We had this whole conversation in our last episode. See what happened with with yeah. moving the rotation around. Is they did kind of the opposite of what we were suggesting on the podcast, which was keep things in the order that they were, and let it go Bassett, Scherzer, Degrom, and then they went Degrom, Scherzer, Bassett, and um, it didn't work. You know, I don't know if that's to be to to be blamed for the poor performances by the pitchers this weekend, but um, I'm sure it didn't help. Uh, that Chris Bassett had a full week between starts or that um, things were just, you know, I, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's just complicated and it's frustrating. And I wish they would just like say something like, if you want to ground to start game three, cause he, that's going to be what they're, that's what they're going to do, you know? Yeah. So I, I, it's, it's complicated. We'll, we'll re uh, we got to refresh the zoom, but picking up the conversation where we're leaving it off, getting back on the soapbox so to speak, of um, what this team should do with starting pitching, where we left off on the last Zoom. Um, and I, I think that they should just make a decision and stick to it. And you got to trust your guys. Like, I don't think that you should go into this series being like, we think we have a better chance when DeGrom pitches. So we're going to save him uh, for the Dodgers. Because if you can, if you're supposed like, you're supposed to be trusting your guys. I just think they should make a decision. And I think there's no real wrong decision in terms of whether Bassett or DeGrom goes game two. If DeGrom goes game two and you win game two and you're out of the series, then you go Bassett game one. Uh, 
uh, yeah, I don't. It that's that's so far off in the future for me that I don't even want to think about setting things up for the Dodgers because I'm so preoccupied with this series, you know? Yeah. It's like, are we going to do this for the championship series too? If we make it to the division series where like, we just sort of stack things up so that we'll be prepared for the next round. Like I understand that there is a real preoccupancy with like getting the best hand you can against the Dodgers. Um, Especially if like Starling Marte is not going to be there. Like we don't really know what's going on there. He is gripping things and that's a that's an actual quote gripping things uh not clear if it's a bat a ball like we don't know really how ready he is how prepared he is for baseball activity like sure that that deck is stacked against you you want to have an advantage against the Dodgers you want your guys pitching you want your best guys pitching fine but like I mean even then, and I like I'm just a broken ass record here, but really there's no other reason. And you you get a day off if you win if you go to ground and win game two. You know what I mean? Like you still have the 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 strength to like move places or you know, move people around in some some sort of way that like you know Taiwan Walker is only starting once. Like I think really the Mets should be less concerned about giving DeGrom and Scherzer more starts and just like giving make giving as many of these to the top three guys and as few to the bottom two guys. Like I know that Carrasco is probably not even going to appear, but like, you know, don't even put yourself in a situation where like you need, you know, a long man or anything like obviously put some in the bullpen, but like that should be, that will give you, that's so much easier and it gives you a decent chance of winning anyway. Um, You know, like if honestly, like if you thought that, I mean, I don't mean to sound curt here, but like if you, were afraid that Chris Bassett getting two starts against the Dodgers was a problem. You should have done something about it at the deadline. Like you, like if it was really that bad, like I feel like this could have been something that was prepared for. And also like at the same time, it's kind of unfair to just be like, well, Chris Bassett had a bad game against the Braves. So like he can't, he can't go as often anymore. Like I also don't really think that's fair to Bassett um, because he had a bad game and like that happens, but also like, you know, James McCann may not have actually been doing a good job calling the signs. Um, I don't know. The Braves are, that's a, that's another question that maybe it's, it works to move on to. I don't know if you have anything more to add, but as far as who is on this roster, I do think it's very funny that, I mean, can you imagine if three weeks ago uh, I had told you like, we'd be sitting here talking about how we allocate starts and not about the bullpen. Like the bullpen has been great. It's been good. Okay, yeah, before we move on, I did yeah. want to say that there's like an undercurrent with these conversations about how to stack the pitching and, and being prepared for the Dodgers and so on and so forth. And that undercurrent to me is uh, providing a little bit of extra anxiety about this series. And I'm just, I'm concerned that they think that this series is an afterthought. Yeah. That's part of my concern is that they think that they're going to beat the Padres handily and that uh that again we were saying earlier the Padres are a good baseball team they underperformed a little bit this year but they're still here like they're a good baseball team uh and that has me a little concerned I just don't want them to look at this series as something that they have in the bag I want to make sure that they are uh focusing on what's in front of them and not what's ahead of them Mm -hmm. you know um I want them to be looking where they're stepping instead of looking at um the crosswalk 20 feet down the road. I, I, you know, 
because yeah. I don't want them to I don't want them to trip on the sidewalk. Yeah, get off your phone. Yeah, millennials. Yeah, kids on their phones. You kids in your phones. Greenagers. Us on Saturday, just a couple kids on the phones. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's like it'll be interesting though, because like they'll they'll have a couple decisions to make. Uh because it's first of all, because it's a three-game series, you have the question of how many of these between Walker and Carrasco, who gets spots in the bullpen here as as long guys or emergency guys, like because Trevor Williams threw six innings on Wednesday. So he's not in the picture. He's he he won't be here till the DS, which sure, whatever. You couldn't have like Budo wasn't available, or you know, you I fine, right? Um, how do you deal with that? Who gets like, do you just make Walker the long man and make Carrasco the long man in the next series when you put Walker into the rotation? I think Peterson is my long man, and maybe like I don't think McGill is stretched out enough, really. But well, he's injured. Oh, yeah, they put McGill on the IL for Givens. I think like Givens is back, and now McGill is. It's undisclosed. Not sure if it's COVID or something else, but I also don't think McGill really earned it. To be honest, he nah. really didn't look very sharp, and that's not a fault of his own. Like he got rushed back. Um, Peterson, I think, definitely makes it. Yeah. Um, I think as far as the people who have been in the bullpen to this point, I think they all make it. Like, I think obviously Diaz, Lugo, Ottavino get it. I think May and Givens probably get spots. Rodriguez has been good for the last month. Yeah, He's definitely right. in. Drew Smith has pitched well since coming off the injured list. Um, and, you know, David Peterson's pitched well too. I think ultimately, especially because Williams isn't there, those guys are going to make it in. Um, but with three starters, and by my count, that's seven relievers. So you have room to at least add like two if you wanted between Walker and Carrasco. You could have both of them. Um, it depends how, how much you see in Carlos Carrasco and also how much you want to pad with the offense. You know, how many hitters you want to stick in behind your nine everyday players um, because you're lacking Starling Marte. Like, do you want, you know, do you want Darren Ruff? Mark Vientos, Francisco Alvarez, all there at the same time. Like, it's a lot Man, of. I really, I really wish Starling Marte was healthy. Yeah, this it it honestly, it's bad for the vibe too that like someone like that who we who so many people love, myself included, just isn't playing. Like it's it 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 feels unfair. He's um, so he's so good and he's so. Oh, he's just, he's, uh, he was having a great year. Oh man. Mitch Keller, you asshole. Yeah. Mitch Keller. It's, it's a, it's a shame because things would look, I think a lot better on the offensive side. If he was here, yeah. it would certainly take a lot of the, um, emphasis off of who's getting those at bats that he's not, um, uh, which a lot of those, you know, talk about the guys who have been filling in, uh, in the DH spot from the, you know, Vientos and Alvarez. I don't know if those guys were here, if, if Martes is yeah. healthy. Um, not Vientos. Yeah, I just – it's so it's so frustrating that that had to happen. It's just the worst possible time and the worst possible injury because it's been slow healing and it doesn't look like he's going to be ready. They keep saying, you know, we don't want to say if he's going to be ready or not. We don't know if he's going to be ready or not. It's tomorrow, guys. And if he's still not taking batting practice, like if he is not facing, like – live-ish pitching like he's not going to be on this roster 
And I don't see a scenario in which he's going to be ready for game action before an NLCS scenario, Um, which is also really quite a shame because if the Mets move on to the Dodgers, big if we've been talking about it, three of the first four pitchers they see in this playoff might be left-handed. Yeah, that's going to be a buzzsaw. You're getting Snell in game two. And if you move past the Padres in those first two games, you're hopping right over on a flight to LA and you're getting Julio Urias and Clayton Kershaw back to back. Like, and then Tyler Anderson, probably at some point or Heaney. I don't know. They might go Gonsolin in game three. Who's to say the Dodgers have a lot more options than the Mets right now, because the Mets have three guys who we can deem as vaguely trustworthy at the moment. Um, three guys who were much more trustworthy before the Atlanta series. Again, talked about that. Yeah. One guy who I'm like, I think he can give us like four decent innings in a playoff start. And that's Taiwan Walker. Yeah. One guy who I do not trust, and that's Carlos Carrasco. And then one guy who, if he's getting a playoff start, something has gone terribly wrong, and that's David Peterson. Yeah. And then again, Trevor Williams is not going to be on the wild card roster. So. Uh, I'm not including him in this conversation, but same as Peterson. If he's getting a playoff starter, if he's having to throw five innings in a game, that's a problem. Um, that's not a good thing if that happens. Mm-hmm. Might be a good thing for him, but it's for the team, probably a bad thing. So, man, it's just, I don't even know. You just got to hope for the best. You just got to let people do their jobs and, and hope that they do it. And, and the Mets path, through a talented Padres team, through a, a team that won the most National League baseball games in modern baseball history in the Dodgers, and then either having to face a good Cardinals team or um, the same Braves team that just kicked our butt um, to get to the World Series, it's a tough path. And it, it harps on the same conversation we had at the very beginning of the episode that had they won one – I know it's 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 very selfish of us – they won 101 games. Isn't that good enough? Apparently not. 102 would have gotten them division title. Um, well, because we know the signs, you know, like we know how these these prophecies work. Um, this would only happen to the Mets that they would win 101 games and not win the division. And I'll tell you what, the pain usually doesn't end there, right? If yeah, like- I saw I saw a tweet. I forget who it was from, so I apologize if you're listening to the pod or whatever, but it was like going semi-viral and it said, like, you really feel for Mets fans after this series against the Braves because that was just so terrible to watch. But as a Mets fan, I just know it's only going to get worse. Yeah. Like, that's the way we think. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it it doesn't feel like this is painful enough. Like, it does feel like it'll get worse. Um I think to go into lineup construction very quickly, or not lineup construction, but roster construction, I think you're right to suggest that the rotation and like the pitching staff is pretty much like, you know, what the pitching staff is. Um, Peterson can be your long man and Walker can be a long man for the wild card. That gives you 12. You have your nine everyday players. I'm counting Guillaume in the lineup. Vogelback is DH, McNeil and Wright. That gives you five bench guys to work with. Gore is going to be on this roster because they added him before September. Uh, They did that so that they could have him on the postseason roster. That's absolutely happening. Uh, Tyler Naquin is definitely going to be on this postseason roster because they don't have anyone else who can really play the outfield. Gore, even as fast as he is, does not grade out very well as a defender. Um, 
if Darren Rupp is healthy, he's probably in there. So that brings you to what that brings you to 23. Um, or no, that, that brings you to 24 and that gives you two more spots to split between Tomas Nito, Francisco Alvarez, um, or not Tomas Nito really, because he's the starter. He's the starting catcher. James McCann, Francisco Alvarez, Mark Vientos. And I honestly think that like Alvarez between those three has done the most to earn a spot here. Yeah. I, like I don't think on the roster I'm with you. I, I think, I think I'm with you the whole way through on that, on that line of thinking. I think, you know, it's the, 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 you're committing a baseball sin and in, in carrying three catchers on a playoff roster, but that's what I would do. I think James McCann is the 26th guy is the guy that you only ever use. If you have to pinch hit for Tomas Nito in a late game situation, which is a situation that may arise because Tomas Nito's not a very good hitter. Um, well, McCann isn't either. McCann isn't either, but you, you, he serves as you're not pinch hitting James McCann for Tomas Nito. You're pinch hitting Naquin or Vogelback or rough for Tomas Nito. And then putting um, James McCann in after, you know, like you're yeah. hoping McCann never has to bat uh, mm-hmm. because I, I don't care if he got a hanging curveball from Eric Fetty and hit it off the facing in the second deck. He doesn't do that. He does not do. He's not going to do that against Clayton Kershaw. He's not going to do that against Blake Snow. He's not going to do that against jo- uh, Joe Musgrove or uh, I don't even know who's in the Padres bullpen at this point. Pierce Johnson, Josh. H- well, I know Josh Hader's out there. I, you know, I guess we'll be very acquainted with them by the end of this series. Neville Chrismat. They brought they brought Chris Matt was back in uh was back in AAA for a spell, but they brought him back up right at the tail end of the season. He might be on this roster. If he is, um former Mike Mets Meyer farmhand who they let get away. Mike Meyer is going to go ape shit. Oh yeah. Chris Matt is on the roster. Right of the pod and also on. Jeff Paternostro. Um yes, he's a big Chris Matt head. Huge Chris Matt fan. Uh it's a good changeup. But um yeah. in any regard, like I'm very anxious about that i think if you get to a situation where Marte does come back like the odd man out is probably mccann more so than rough um or or alvarez i mean it's it's a matter of how many at bats is he getting like is he starting if rough is on this roster if rough is healthy enough to be on this roster is buck showalter starting alvarez a dh i mean i guess not but that would just against lefties i mean yeah Although you could honestly, it, you probably in theory should do that. Like if you can't, if Ruff isn't getting those starts, something's very, very wrong here. Um, but Alvarez could just be backup catcher at that point, a backup catcher with even baseline, a far superior bat to James McCann. You know, the defense is really not that night and day between the two of them. I'm sorry. McCann is not a good framer anymore. His pop time is like his saving grace here. Um but Tomas Nito is the starting catcher. And usually in the postseason, the starting catcher is the starting catcher and is the catcher the whole way through. So like that's sort of, I know that like Bassett and McCann work well together or whatever, like didn't work well in Atlanta, big time game, didn't work well. I'm moving on from that. Um, I just don't like the way he calls a game. I don't like the way he receives. I think that it's night and day. I think that, you know, you can, the Mets probably consider him a good defender. And I know the book's been on James McCann as, as a, an above average defensive catcher for as long as he's been a big leaguer, but Nito is, is one of the premier defensive catchers in baseball. 
um, in, in almost every regard. I mean, he's, he's like the third best framer in baseball. I mean, he's a good blocker. He's a good thrower. He's a pretty athletic backstop back there. Not a lot of balls get by him. Um, so I agree. I think that, and he's also a really good game caller. I mean, the pitchers just seem to much prefer Tomas over McCann. I think DeGrom prefers him. Um, even when there were other catchers on this roster, or even when, you know, last year, James McCann was getting the run, um, to test yeah. that contract out, it always felt like DeGrom was like pitching to Tomas Nito last year. Yeah. So I think that the pitchers prefer Nito. I think that Nito is going to be the guy back there. Um, and I'm totally okay with that because he, while he didn't have a good offensive year, um, I don't want to make it seem like we think he did. Um, the numbers are ugly, but he did finish the season much stronger than um, he was at any other point right? offensively. So I'm with you on that. I think that Gore is going to get the spot. I think Nate wins safe. I think if Ruff is healthy enough to be on the roster, he'll be on the roster. I just, I don't need to see any more Mark Vientos this year. I, I really don't. Yeah. I mean, these are not matchups that Mark Vientos has any chance of, of winning either. That's the other thing. Like, we're not going to, we're not going to put him up against Clayton Kershaw. Okay. Like, let's just, let's, I know that some people really like him. Uh, I know that he has like, he might to some people have a future as like the lefty masher, but right now he's not Scott Harrison. He's like right-handed Khalil Lee. It's really bad. Um, I would, I would, I would really advise against, uh, giving him any sort of matchup. I would rather see Vogel back against a lefty at this point. I honestly would. And this is something that like, like just on a smaller scale, like I would really, I think it would be good for this team to maybe give him a little bit more of a little bit more rope. I understand that the matchups against lefties are not promising. I know the numbers. I know what they are. They're terrible. I also don't think we should delude ourselves into thinking that anyone other than Darren Ruff is going to be better against a lefty anymore. Like, I just don't. I just. Yeah. And also, when you pull Vogel back, that's it. He's gone. You got no more Vogel. Yeah. Like, you need to actually keep guys in the game. Like, the Braves did this masterfully on Sunday. They knew that Vogelback was going to come out of that game and that they were going to reach into a trove of, like, you know, right-handed bats who either had no sample or, or no success um didn't matter that it was Dylan Lee who's like maybe the third best lefty in their pen they did it and it it the Mets brought up Alvarez and like he didn't look good and Vogelback was gone like and then it sets the table for this kid Alvarez to face like Rizal Iglesias or whatever yeah exactly right or 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 then you have to like compensate by batting Naquin for him and then it's at that point it's like you're just pinch hitting for a pitcher every time but that's yeah that's not what they did though is that like yeah. alvarez still was left in with the bases loaded to face ken lee and then naquid batted like uh oh, yeah. friday was bad that was i'm also worried about buck honestly yeah there's some concern with the buck managing <laughs> he's led his fourth different team to the playoffs uh he's had no playoff success um uh, we'll see how the managing goes, but I, I think there's reason to be concerned. I mean, he was doing the same crap in the Atlanta series. That's pissed me off all year where he uses a mid-level or a low level leverage arm mm -hmm. in a game that I, that you could still consider to be a high leverage situation in a game that's still winnable Two nothing in the seventh or two, one in the seventh or, you know, three, one in the seventh, whatever it was on Friday, it was three to yeah, one. It was three, yeah. one and McGill like, yeah. 
That is not the spot to use Tyler McGill against the Atlanta Braves with a rested pen. That is not the spot. Yeah. That was some bad hedging. Like that should have just been, I understand the whole idea that, well, you know, we only need to win one game, but it's like three to one right there. That's a perfectly winnable game. And then Um, he gives up two runs. And then what situation do you find yourself in in the ninth inning? Bases loaded one out against Kenley Jansen. They didn't score, but that's a situation where if if you use your high leverage relievers, maybe it's three to two at that point instead of five to two, you know, and maybe that's a more manageable situation for you where you only need one instead of needing three runs and needing, especially once it got to two outs, you need Tyler Naquin to put a ball in a gap there. And you sure, and I know he battled in that at bat and it was good at bad, whatever he saw nine pitches, whatever it was, but like, you know it was in his mind. He's like, I gotta, I gotta barrel something here, mm-hmm. um, which is never a good thing for like a hitter like Tyler Naquin to be thinking. Pete Alonso is allowed to think that because he does that a lot, and he probably thinks that every time he goes up to the plate, I'm gonna hit the crap out of something here. But Tyler Naquin in that situation just needs to find his way on base, keep the line going, and so I don't know. It's just these things have ramifications later in games when you mismanage the sixth, seventh, and eighth inning. Things can bite you in the ass in the ninth um and that's what happened he did the same it worked out in game two of that series Mm -hmm. when he went to peterson in pretty much the same situation but i think it was four to two at that point it was a two-run game and and he went to peterson when he went in the same situation where he went to mcgill it worked out peterson had a better outing than mcgill did and you got to trust your guys to do that but it's the same principle of using a lower leverage arm in a higher leverage situation where if you trust your offense enough, you give them as many chances as possible to come back because even one run, even one run, like what happened in both games two and three and game one, to an extent with the Swanson Homer, those, those home runs that turn it from a one run game into a two run game. Those were the backbreakers. Yeah. Yeah. Olsen home runs like those were the backbreakers. Yeah. I don't know. It is interesting to think about how close those games really were as because it never felt like they were going to win once the Braves took leads. And even when the Mets took leads, it was like, you guys got to score four runs. Like you need like to stack up the insurance. It, honestly, tie games felt like one run deficits. One run leads felt like tie games and the two run lead felt like a half run lead. Like it just didn't not feel like at any point the Mets were, and that's kind of how the whole season had been. And the house of cards came down on them. They, they had a bad series. Um, it's tell you, I really like seven game series. The thought of a seven game series of the Braves somehow happening scares the shit out of me. Um, because I also, I've just, I've had enough Braves for the moment. Um, They're a really good team, man. John Smoltz is going to be like doing color commentary while my team gets killed and everyone does the chop with their phones. Like I've, I've done my six months of watching Mets baseball. I think I will just take of Mets Phillies and LCS <laughs> really pulling for the Phillies, really, really pulling for the Phillies here. Um, oh, that would be the messiest NLCS of all time. I disagree. Uh, I think it would be great for people who are just getting into baseball five hour games because Alec Bohm can't throw to first Andrew Bellotti pitching the sixth inning. God, please give it to me, please. Oh, please. Uh, they're not going to, I don't think they're going to beat the Cardinals, but 
God, please. a lot of people seem to think that they will, which I think is really, really strange. I, that series is a chance to be really weird. Yeah. The Cardinals are like a good team. They're not a great team. They that's a chance to be a weird one. That's, yeah. I mean, the Phillies. Anytime the Phillies are involved in a baseball game, it's got a chance to be weird. They're never normal. Yeah. Um, but rarely the Mets are. So, yeah, I think I agree with you. If the Mets play the Braves in the NLCS, I just I'll consider beating the Dodgers in the NLDS to be my championship. I'll put it at that, and uh, I'll be prepared for whatever impending doom lay in front of me in that series. That was that brutal. I, that's going to be brutal. That If that happens, it's going to be brutal. Because the Braves, first of all, it's it's really – as a Mets fan and someone who is, like, very anti-Braves, obviously, as we all are as we're Mets mm-hmm. fans, you look at the fact that they won the World Series with just, like, a weaker version of the team they have right now, like an 88-win version of this 101-win team. Yeah. Um and you look at the group they have right now and who's under contract for a long time, you, the, the fact that they won the World Series with the worst version of what they have now, that is frightening to me. It's evil empire shit. It really yeah. is. They're going to be, be doing good this for every a while. year. They're going to be good for a while. And it's, oh, they're, uh, they've built a sustainable winner in Atlanta. And like, good for Braves fans or whatever, that they can pull Michael Harris out of their ass at a double A and he could turn into a, rookie of the year a guy who the only reason he's not considered the shoe in for rookie of the year is because he's going to split votes with his teammate who they also kind of pulled out of their ass like strider yeah yeah strider who i guess is probably gonna be healthy by then too so like you can't fall back on jake Odorizzi or even charlie morton playoff starts at this point anymore like it's going to be like kyle wright's going to get his starts and if strider's healthy he's going to get his starts and uh, I think the whole year, really, we were clinging to this idea that as good as the Braves were and as close to our heels as they were getting, the fact that, like, we always had over, we could always hold over their fans. The fact that, like, you still didn't catch us. We're still ahead. We're winning these series. Like, we took four or five from you at home. Like, you can't get us. You know, you keep saying you're coming for us and you can't. And, like, they did. They did. They took it. They they literally snatched it from us the worst possible outcome and they pulled it off those sons of bitches like like it it honestly like i think that's just a big part of like the powerlessness because really like you know in in august after the mets took four or five from the braves i was like let's go like i want an nlcs with this team because i want to embarrass them again now that i don't have this crutch of winning the division over them i'm sort of helpless and um Sky is falling. Like I'm scared of them now. Officially, Can you imagine I was doing this in '99. By the way, like when they were in the LCS together, and John Rocker was J- John Rocker, and Chipper Jones was Chipper Jones, and John Smoltz was a player. Ah, uh, you know, well, I would prefer him as a player over a broadcaster because then I wouldn't have to hear him. No, this I I I I would not want to be beaten by John Smoltz. I think that would be like even more embarrassing than listening to him talk about my team getting beat because I can mute that, but I can't turn off the TV if John Smoltz is beating my team. Oh, I'm going to be listen. I, I'm going to, I'm going to get my fill of Howie Rose before this postseason ends. I'll tell you that much. They should. I love Howie, but 
like Gary Cohen should be getting a couple opportunities in the booth because he used to do that. And he he came up a radio broadcaster. Yeah. And they flip-flopped it in the in the early mid 2000s It was Howie who did a lot of TV reps and Gary who was doing a lot of radio side. And then when S and Y started, uh they flipped it. Like yeah. Howie went full-time radio and Gary went full-time TV. Gary, I, yeah. by, by the way, Gary Cohen for the second time is a Fort C. Frick Award nominee, one of 10 broadcasters to be nominated for that award, which is uh, an award that highlights, it's basically the Hall of Fame for Baseball Broadcasters Award. Like if you're, yeah. if you win the award, you're a Hall of Famer. Um, you get inducted at Cooperstown over, over Cooperstown weekend, uh, over induction, uh, induction weekend, you get to make a speech and um, it's really great. Uh, as someone who is currently looking for jobs in professional baseball to be a broadcaster uh, that's the pinnacle i want to be i want to win a, a, a ford c frick award one day that would be cool to uh that'd be epic be in the hall of fame that'd be sick uh gary cohen has uh, a lot of competition this year and um if he wins it that'd be great um rooting for him certainly um i don't know i don't know why i decided to go off on that tangent regardless he'll, he'll be in the hall of fame at some point oh he'll win it eventually yeah this uh, year cool. it would be cool this year um in any event, should we try to turn the vibes? We got, you know, with the remainder of this Zoom, should we try to turn the vibes around like a little bit? I think you you wanted to do that. Uh, try to list off the top 12 most. Oh, yeah. Of- yeah, I did. We had a whole thing about like how good this season was. I'll like oh, yeah. do this really quickly. Just some of the notes we didn't touch on. First of all, uh, we didn't really give Jeff McNeil a batting title props for what he did he won a batting title he hit 326 it was the best in the majors uh first time uh first time Ahmed has won the major league batting title uh back when Jose Reyes did it in 2011 he only won in the national league um so this is this is like a huge deal um he beat out Freddie Freeman Freeman made it very close went three for four another freaking brave right another brave trying to take something from us but um didn't happen um so he's getting a car not sure what kind of car um but some of these numbers i i really i think i was not familiar with his game i want to apologize to jeff mcneil i was not familiar with your game because at the beginning of the year we talked a lot about him and dom smith and jd davis and we were like all right which one of these guys is going to turn it around and I don't think I gave McNeil the credit he deserved. I don't remember if I said he was the most likely, but I wouldn't be surprised if I had passed on him. If I had said he was, if he was done, he was fantastic this year, especially in the second half. He had 378 from July 29th on. That's bonkers. He, he was hitting 287. That was the lowest his average had been. He raised it over 233 at bats he trailed freddie freeman by 30 points at one point at the trade deadline and he hit 369 over the last two months like bonkers ridiculous and i think all this time we've talked about like what lindor can do to help the team what nimmo can do to help the team what alonzo can do jeff mcneil's been helping the team the whole season um i'm really glad he got that moment i'm glad like i said that fans got it too but it's really cool and and not only that is that watching him like smell it in the last couple of weeks you could see he was smelling it because we also have this here he finished the season with a 10 game hitting streak in which he went 20 for 43 he almost hit 500 in the last 10 games 20 for 43 going back to 923 like that's Mm -hmm. 
really he smelled it like he was getting multi-hit games every day like it, it was crazy eight of the 10 games were multi-hit games yeah. so he's cool we like him um hit by pitch leader we also had that mark Hanna, 28 career high for him as well um pete alonzo led the national league in rbis 131 also tied with judge um for the tops in the majors at 131 also cool um and Edwin Diaz led the majors in strikeout percentage. Um, Francisco Lindor led all major leaguers, major league shortstops and RBIs. Franchise and war. And war. <laughs> um, overall, very cool. Very lots of um, cool that's that like multiple Mets are gonna have um, like MVP votes this year. Like probably three position players. Yeah, I would hope at least I would hope that they all get at least one third place vote. I don't think anyone's getting NL MVP honors. Yeah. Um, like I think it's probably gonna be either Goldschmidt or Arnado. Um, but like there's an interesting discussion to be had towards the end of whenever we do go into voting about between McNeil, Alonzo, and Lindor, who you would give your third place vote to. Cause I think you can make an argument for any each of them. I think I would personally do Lindor, but um, you know, it it it's sort of a can go any which way. It doesn't really matter. None of them will win. But I wanted to because I figured like now that the season's over and all the stats are finished, uh, it's always fun to look back on like those baseball reference pages where they have the top 12 uh, in war because you get to really look back on like who's been contributing really across the whole season and who's been stacking them up. What is have, this? You looked have, at your phone. I have a cool note that I just I just saw. Okay. This was a uh, Ryan Finkelstein tweeted this, who does the Locked right. on Mets podcast. He tweeted this earlier today. I just saw this for the first time. So when Jeff McNeil and Pete Alonzo made the all-star game in 2019 together for the first time, they finished the season with an identical WRC plus of 144. Why 44? But um, beside the point, this year, they both made the all-star team together again mm-hmm. for the second time. And once again, posted identical WRC pluses, almost 144 again. They were both at 143 this year. Oh, but, so they they fell off is what you're saying. But they both posted the same number again. That's crazy. That's so wild. Ah, that's, that's some crazy. Chris Davis stuff. Yeah, that's so cool. Basically, when Jeff McNeil and Pete Alonzo both make, make the all-star team, they both have very good. Well, yeah, obviously they have good years if they're all-stars. But I, you know what I mean. Yes. They they have the they do it in sync. Okay, um, top top twelve um, wars. How would you do top six? What was your top six? The top six would be um, Lindor. Is this in specific? Like, am I going in order here? Uh, I mean, if you had order, but it's fine if you don't. So Lindor's one. I know that for a fact. Um, I think. You see, I don't know if Pete makes the top six because his defense has hurt his war a lot this year. Mm-hmm. He's only at like three, three and a half, I think, last I checked. Yeah. Uh, McNeil's up there. So Lindor, McNeil, uh, Edwin has – well, okay, if Edwin's there, Pete's there too because Edwin's like led the majors in, in reliever war and he was at like three. So yeah. those four, Alonzo and Diaz included um, – I Scherzer, no Bassett is probably there because he pitched the whole year. And then Scherzer, I guess, would round at my top six. All right. I uh mine was I had Lindor one, I had Scherzer two, 
Nimmo's got Alonzo three. Um, sometimes these pitchers just rack up their war and it's ridiculous. Like I think the Scherzer, because he had like an ERA of like 220. Like I yeah. feel like it's I wouldn't put him past him. Also, like he accumulated a lot of innings for somebody who missed like seven weeks. Like 150 innings is kind of ridiculous for someone who only made like 20 starts. Um, so I have him at two, Alonzo three, I have McNeil four. Cause I'm like, I feel like Alonzo might have the power angle, um, Nimmo five. And I had Starling six. Um, the actual top six is very interesting. I forgot Uh, Nimmo was up there too. Isn't he up there? Nimmo is four. Alonzo is five. Marte is six. Bassett is seven. And Edwin is eight. Okay. Um, and then one and two is Lindor and Scherzer. Scherzer is three. Lindor is two. Jeff McNeil is the highest R war on this team. Oh, crazy. Go Jeff. His defense has been that good, I guess. Right. He's I been mean, like a two, he's been like a two win defensive second baseman. Yeah. F war is a better stat by the way, but like, I just like seeing the, the, the 12, you know, it's pleasing. I think people like looking at that. It's fun to look back on those. You Who know? rounds out the 12? Because that was only the top eight. Uh, Diaz is eight. Uh, Walker is – well, who do you have? I just gave away Walker's nine. But who do you have as the bottom three? Um, Walker, nine. And then maybe – maybe DeGrom snuck in with like 10 or 11 because he got like a half season of pretty good starts in there. Um, Canna. And uh, maybe maybe Eski slid in there, maybe Eduardo. You got Canna. Canna's ten. Canna. Um, no Degrom. Degrom isn't in. I wow. thought Degrom would be higher up because of like just the sheer brilliance of the the eleven performances themselves. Um, but he's not. He doesn't rank. Um, so ten is Canna. Eleven is Adam Ottavino. I was gonna say. I thought maybe. Yeah. And 12, and this is how you know our war is just a great statistic, is Luis Guillorme. Ah, defense, baby. Defense. We love defense. That's wild. Okay, let's – What a good uh, group of guys. It's You want to remember some guys? We – uh, yeah, we're going to have to reset for a second, but yes. All right. Okay, so let's wrap up here on PG episode 98. We've talked playoffs. We've – recap the season as a whole we were just talking about who led the team in various categories and whatnot fun stuff that uh, Mets fans don't often get to talk about before we remember guys I think Jack you wanted to share with us just an all-time buck quote that came across our monitors today something that while we prepare to remember guys guys like us uh, will be remembering this quote for uh, for a while yeah, this is definitely kind of I, – I don't really know what to do with it, so I'm just going to read it. Um, it's about Darren Ruff, whether he has a shot to be on the playoff roster. This is Chelsea Janes who tweeted this out. Everyone here today has a shot. All of God's children have a chance. They're all somebody's son. That's yeah. – I mean, is that the, the, the most uh, – is that the strongest endorsement of Darren Ruff's, uh, I guess, standing? I'm somebody's son too, Buck. I am. Hey, listen. I'm, does listen. that mean I got a chance against Blake? Hey, Snow? you and me both. 
God's children, you know, we just, we just atoned. We're clean, you know, we're clean. Yeah. We just get us up there. We were fasting. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was very neat. I thought it was funny. Um, just like, I mean, it'd be really, it would be so hilarious of, of an arc if Darren Ruff came back from the snack thing and was just like ridiculous. Bolt hero um, Darren Ruff. He's due. He is due, kind of, maybe. Maybe due um, to get DFA'd in the offseason. I don't know. Um, hopefully not. <laughs> hopefully he plays well. God, this trade, if that happens, would be just an all-time terrible trade. I think that that is uh that's up there in the annals of uh of all time Mets manager quotes in our lifetime with like, you remember that game in uh Detroit when uh they didn't pinch run Brandon Nimmo for Jay Bruce yeah um and then Bruce wound up getting hosed at home uh on a on a base hit to the outfield and Terry was asked about it after the game when the Mets lost and he was like for all I know they're uh Bruce is faster than Nimmo and. Nemo, who's like a plus, you know, sprint speed guy, I, and Bruce is like a below average runner. It's just that I will always remember that one. Jay Bruce, who famously falls down in the outfield like once a week, is just as fast and capable on the base paths as uh, a rookie with the speed tool. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly like there's going to be a lot of Terry Collins romanticizing in the next couple of weeks, especially if this Mets team does not make it far off the ground and like really not looking forward to that. Part of why I want Buck to win. I really like part of why I'm so staunch about like Buck's success is because I want people to understand that like it's not just, you know, there can be other good managers besides Terry Collins. Like there can be you know, older, old school guys who know how to use pitchers. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know how to deal with the media, et cetera. I, I, just, I, I digress. I think that Buck is going to get romanticized regardless of what happens in the playoffs because he's a guy that in his first season with the team, he led him to 101 wins, second most in team history, yada, yada, yada. Obviously yeah. more so if they had won the division, but I think people just like – people go out of their way to like Buck, and I like Buck. I think Buck's great. Uh, I think I try to be as critical as I think is fair to him um and i try not you know something is clearly bad in his managing i try to point it out wherever i can like the the low leverage pitchers and mid or high leverage situation stuff um but i think buck's cool and he certainly throws his one-liners out there like that uh we are all somebody's sons um on the pleasant evening podcast let's remember guys jack who you got um well, I was thinking in light of Starling Marte's injury and how like, you know, things set teams back in the postseason and put them in a bad place. And I always think back to um, the Mets pitching staff in 2006. Don't get in the um, cab. No, 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 not the cab. But do you remember what happened like moments before game one? I guess this is like a, right, because this is before your time. Yeah, pre This was like hours this is hours before uh, their first game against the Dodgers. And listen, like the 2006 Mets were always the best team in the National League. Um, like they always had, they were always the favorites. There was never any question, but if there really was any remote question about this team's chances, it lay in the strength of their pitching staff, particularly their starting pitchers, because Pedro was already hurt. Um, Steve Traxel was not very good. 
like they already were gonna have to give some starts to like John Main, who was a depth guy and you know like you never like that's not really that's not really what you want um and it got a lot worse for them like moments before the division series started because you know Maine wasn't even supposed to go game one but he basically got called in on an emergency because Orlando Hernandez like hurt himself running in the outfield so I'm remembering Orlando Hernandez because I think a lot of um there was a lot of hubbub and a lot of concern when that happened that like they had simply run out of pitchers that they had no more they really were no longer like gonna do well because like you know they went from having like a c-tier pitching staff to a d-tier pitching staff and like john main was great oliver perez was great wouldn't have happened if orlando hernandez had not gotten hurt so in thinking about starling Marte's injury i'm trying to think back to a time when um an injury before the playoffs didn't really do the Mets in but separately Orlando Hernandez was kind of underrated you know he was like a mid-rotation pitcher for them um who was in the last legs of his career didn't throw very hard obviously but like I think he dealt with some injuries but he was still like a pretty solid dependable arm for them um for a year and a half or so had a uh, a 388 ERA and 44 starts as a Met pretty good yeah. For a 40-year-old, you know, veteran, you know, starting pitcher. Pretty He's good. got similarities to Chris Bassett. Yeah. With the slow curveball. and Yeah. He he did have a big bag of tricks, um, Hernandez. He oh, yeah. Total junk baller. Yeah. But it worked. Uh, I mean. Yeah. More often remembered a Yankee than a, than a Met. But, I mean, yeah. for rightly so, he was better there and he was there longer. But, um, yeah. Good guy to remember. I am thinking – as I often am, and I know I, I'm pretty, I mean, you, we have to have remembered him before. Um, in fact, he's been on the podcast, but relevant in people's mind now. They've mentioned him on the broadcast in game 162. I think it just bears reminding to the people at home that it's been a while since the Mets played a playoff game. And the last base hit by a New York Met in a MLB sanctioned playoff game, the wild card game in 2016 a game in which I only think they had three hits. Yep. Came off the bat of our um, switch hitting um, Jewish friend of the podcast, uh, Tyler Patrick Kelly, uh, Ty Kelly. Um, So Ty's never far from my thoughts because he's a fun guy to remember, but um, only holds that distinction for another uh 22 hours uh, 20 23 hours or so as of right now it's just sitting you're gonna hours. get no hit now that you've said that no both games are getting no hit Please job, get no that must have been like episode like seven or eight that we had him on right it must have been so early in the process for us that was yeah i was still in my i'm graduated now and we i remember we recorded that in my junior yeah. year apartment so um i can check on that right now at least like i think probably november of 2020 um so it was um i believe usually when i put the episodes in i'll I'll, i uh i say that if we have a guest it's in there so yeah they were he was our first ever guest and this was october 12th wow birthday happy birthday mom uh 2020 jeez 
Time flies. Like God, I it's almost two come. years ago. That is almost two years ago to the day. That's six days shy of being two years ago to the day. That's wild. We should have him back on, especially now that unionize the miners. I remember when we had him on, it was sort of like it was in the early stages and like it had a website and it was doing really well, but like they didn't have like union cards and all that stuff going on. Yeah. Like I would kill to hear how that's going right now. Yeah. I'm we sure talked he's to doing great stuff. Yeah. Cause we talked to him a little bit about advocates. That's right. For minor leaguers. Um, did, yeah, was, did I say unionize the minors? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I get that. That's the t-shirt. That's Those the, are the shirts, but minor league MILB advocates was his thing. And um, he was like one of the first guys to really like, run that and it's done such great things and it's only gonna do more great stuff so yeah um i think that about puts a pin in it for episode 98 we hope we brought some probably much needed levity there towards the end um to uh to lighten your moods at home as you prepare for game one of the very first ever national league wild card series best of three mets and padres actually it will be the fourth wildcard series based on start times third wait there's a late game the Mets are the eight o'clock game right I'm bugging Friday's eight o'clock Saturday and Sunday are 737 unless the Guardians and Rays finish their series this is the dumbest thing and I hate it and I'm glad yeah. we didn't talk about it a lot because I would have gone off on a tear about it but if the Guardians and Rays series ends at two games the 407 start time that they would have gotten for Sunday at 407 is the Mets start time on Sunday. So all the more reason to sweep the Padres in two games. So you don't get jobbed by ESPN. Um, also, yeah, sorry. It, the games are I, on ESPN. Yeah. I, I assume that that's also partly for getaway day purposes. Cause whoever wins the series uh, is going to have to fly back to the West coast to, to face the Dodgers at home uh, in LA. So they have the off. Day. Well, okay. They, they have the off day Monday. The division series starts on Tuesday, but but that Monday is usually like a workout day, media day type deal. Like the Padres, I, well, maybe I don't think the Padres were in town today, were they? I don't think they they did oh. the media day thing. Ah, we'll see. It doesn't matter. It's weird. Hey, shenanigans. But yeah, based on start time, the Mets are the fourth of the four series to start. So that's why I was saying is that it's the first ever wild card series, but it's the fourth ever wild card series based on start times on Friday. Because you got a noon game and then two o'clock game and then a four or five o'clock game and then an eight o'clock game. Uh, the Mets of the eight o'clock game, 807, Darvish, Scherzer, City Field, brought to you by ESPN. Um, and we hope that the Mets play well this weekend. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you guys soon, probably when this series ends, I would imagine. Uh, in any event, he's been Jack Hendon. I've been Sam Lebowitz. If you like us, go back, listen to our other episodes. Be sure to share us with a friend or a family or the Mets fan in your life. Um, and give us a follow on Twitter at the PGE pod. Uh, but for episode 98 for Jack Kennan, I'm Sam Lebowitz once again, and Mets fans have a pleasant day. Mm-hmm.